Welcome and you're listening to Taking Care of Business with myself, Julieta Televi. And me, Rob Rose. This week, the Financial Mail's cover story is on the death of gold, the metal that, along with diamonds, created a nation. But will it define South Africa in the future the same way it has done over the past century? So we decided to invite two old school miners into our studios this afternoon. Former Harmony Gold CEO, Bernard Swanepoel, whose second career is the championing of small business. And Peter Major, now with Mergence Corporate Solutions, who has spent his life, I'd say, analyzing the JSC's mining companies. Gents, uh, thanks to you both for coming in. Thank you. So, so guys, I suppose the main question is, you know, we talked about what happened, what's happened to the gold industry over the last couple of months, and some of the graphs are really frightening. So the first and obvious question is, is it all over for gold? Obviously, we're having a South African conversation. So gold is actually doing well worldwide. It is the South African gold mining industry that is in the final chapter, perhaps, unless of course, we start exploring and discovering and building new mines. But the old mines, the mines that were built in the 80s and the 90s, they are being mined out. But can I ask, I mean, why would you need to go and explore and discover new mines um, when, according to Peter, who's widely quoted in um, Lisa Stain's article that uh, is in this week's FM, there are so many tons and ounces of unmined gold in the bigger established gold mines already. Well, Peter can speak to that, and obviously uh, he will speak his book, uh, you know, to Blayfur and other mines. So we've got lots of uh, existing uh, reserves or resources that are accessible. It needs to be financially viable for it to be reserves. What we have done is we have lived off the shafts that have been sunk 30 and 40 and 50 years ago for the last 50 years. Um, I really am very critical that we haven't uh, found any new mineable ore bodies in South Africa. Um, and I am I find it hard to believe that South Africa is completely explored. We were endowed with the Witwatersrand Basin. It's an elephant, and we've been eating of that elephant for our lives. That elephant is near the end now. Mm, okay. But, but Peter, I mean, we do have fantastic reserves still in this country. Why would we need to find more? Why, why are we not exploited the reserves we have already? I mean, surely we have enough here that if things were in an optimal state, we could we could live off this this particular elephant for a long time. Rob, if I try to find a good analogy, I would say, look at how many businesses worldwide that the Chinese are devouring. And boy, whether it's mining equipment, whether it's pharmaceuticals, um, I bought an electric razor a couple of days ago for $200 that looked like 200 Rand, that looked like a, a brawn. Mm. But a brawn and a Phillips you're paying 2000 for. So the Chinese, they have continued this, this um, era of productivity increases, like the rest of the world used to do. You know, every year you produce more, cheaper, mm. better, more efficient. That's what the rest of the world has done in gold mining. When the gold price jumped in 72, 73, then anybody could make money. And so they all started getting into it. But then when gold fell in 80, 81, only the people who kept increasing productivity, efficiency, innovation, they kept growing. So you see in one of the graphs here, Gold production has never gone down in the world since 1970. It just keeps going up and up and up. We have lost the ability to continue the innovation that we did for 100 years. So the gold's always been in the ground here, but we have forgot how to mine. We forgot how to innovate. And whatever productivity figure you want to measure, we're not going flat. We're going down. You know, the gold price has only been this high in real terms probably three times in the history of man. So that's why the rest of the world continues to increase their production because they continue to increase their productivity. We have just stopped that. And we were first in the world at one stage, and now we're, what, seventh in the world? Ninth. Um, Peter, how 
why do you think we've dropped off in innovation? What stopped us? We've taken our eye off the ball. Um, we've concentrated on so many things in this country since 1987-88 that we don't have the emphasis and the focus. You know, we used to live and die by gold. We thought that's all we had was gold and diamonds. So we put everything into it for nearly 100 years. Now when we find out we have other things, we've taken so much focus off gold. And I, I think when Lisa was putting this article together, she asked me some of the reasons. And I said, I can give you a five or six right off the top, you know, internationalization. International financiers, pension funds, banks, they don't want to put their money in any investment that could kill somebody. And gold mines do kill people. It doesn't matter. Other mines all over the world, they also kill people. And financial institutions don't want to put their money in there either. But there's always other investors that will. But if we look at how the new Minerals Act was, it is so cumbersome. It's like a laboratory experiment. You know, <laughs> it wasn't really well thought through. You couldn't find another place in the world that used it. And that coincided with the same time of Eskom having massive price increases and telling the gold mines, we can't supply you as regular as we did. You're going to have to cut back 10%. That coincided with the power of the unions. Unions have tremendous power, almost more power than the government. So that power can be used good, negative, neutral. And, and we go on to other reasons. Capital is more demanding now. There's other alternative places to invest. But yes, we just haven't innovated. You don't get bonuses for innovating. Do you want to go to a mine when the community hates you, Zamazamas are there, half your workforce is stealing from you? Uh, yeah, there's a big list and it's, it's a sea change. The environment is so different that getting the rock out of the ground is way down. It's, it's on priority number 10, 11, 12. Mm. Um, Bennett, I was gonna ask, I mean, one of, the, one of the real reasons that people always advance is that labor costs too much. Um, compared to what it used to. And, th and that is true. I mean, we are paying more for the labor to go down into the mines. But, you know, we had a very bizarre labor situation for, you know, 80 years in this country where people be being paid way too little for what they were doing. I mean, the normalization of it should have helped in a way, but it's not. I mean, this is one of the reason adva reasons advanced for what's happened to the gold industry. How do, we, how do we think about this in terms of what's happened to labor versus what we're pulling out of the ground? Yeah, I don't think any of us would ever argue that we go back to sort of exploitation of cheap labor. Um, the way this should have played out is we, as Peter said, we should have innovated in a way that we could actually get better productivity. So if you've got uh, runaway uh, wage costs, um, you know, salaries per person per month, and you've got declining uh, productivity, then you obviously are quickly going to run into a problem. Um, I think the one thing we should acknowledge is that uh, over the 130 years, most of the mine, uh, most of the gold in South Africa has been mined from underground, ever deeping, uh, ever deeper underground mines, mm. um, and we are competing with all bodies that can be exploited differently. I mean, a lot of uh, mining in the world is open cast mining, which lends itself to a higher level of mechanization and so on. So the reality of our ore body. A narrow tabular ore body, and by tabular I mean you know like uh, one meter wide typically, it, it doesn't lend itself to mechanization. It means we need lots of manual labor, and manual labor is definitely not cheap and should never be cheap again. So I think there's a bit of a reality in how the world has moved on. And in 2020, we are not going to mine like we mined mine in 1920. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Brendan, can I ask, uh, are there things that you wish you had changed when you were active in the gold mining industry? If, if you consider the relationship that gold mining companies have had with labor, the, the fact that 
there never seemed to be a sort of a, a concord between management and, and labor. It's always been a very testy relationship and it doesn't seem to have improved. Um, and I kind of wonder if the, you know, the, the former CEOs of the gold companies look to themselves and think we should have done things quite differently. I would argue that we probably from time to time had a more constructive relationship with labor than with government. Uh, if you ask me our failure, my era CEOs, is we never convinced the country that mining is actually a relevant activity worth pursuing. Now, you know, uh, critics would say, well, of course you had a better relationship with labor because they got above inflation increases year after year after year. Quite frankly, I think from where we came to where we are, that was inevitable. But in order for us to, um, you know, to make society respect us as a contributor to the, to the national economy, I think we failed in convincing the new government, especially of the role of mining. Um, and the government has treated mining as a place where there could be redistribution of wealth. So I don't think as an industry we've created wealth. I think we've redistributed wealth. And you can only redistribute wealth so many times. I mean. Juliet, if I can add something, all businesses are going to the same places to get their capital. And so if the government bond rate is 9%, you know, equities have to give more than that because they're a lot risky. So I think, what's the average? About 6 or 7% higher. So the mines, they understood that just like all businesses did. So as long as the mines can pay back the lenders what that appropriate rate is, then the rest of the money, they can pay dividends, they can treat the workers better. And I hate saying treat the workers better because there were workers here in 1982 that were making as much as I was. The difference is they could never advance to the, the job title I had. They were making as much as me. They didn't pay tax. I remember my control team leader, he lived on the golf course because the mine manager said, Pete, he makes us money and he's married. You're single and you're not making me money yet. So you stay in the hostel until you're making us money. So it's hard to say people are underpaid. Mining's always been the highest paid industry that I can remember. You always read it, you know, add up, look at the chamber mines details, you know, construction workers, I don't even think make two thirds what mining people do. Yeah. I don't think manufacturing makes 75% of what well, mining I mean, I suppose is. there was like the death element that you had to take into account, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that's probably it. But the death element, I think our mining, it changed to what we call first world mining, probably a few decades after the rest of the world. Germany, America, England, their accident rates were horrendous in the start of the previous century. But by the 50s, the 60s, that wasn't allowable to improve. Now you can say ours started improving later. Ours started improving in the 70s, 80s, 90s. So I think we're following the same trend, but yeah, maybe mining pays more because it was riskier, but a lot of safety is what you make it. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not just random events. Yes, there's a few random events, but our, our safety numbers are sometimes better than the West today. And boy, that's from deep level gold mines. We're three and a half Ks down and they're not even the K down. So our industry has been bad mouthed way too much beyond any reason or proper facts. Peter, that, I mean, that, that, that's a point that Bernard raised, which I think is very important, is that we haven't had the social acceptance of mining as an industry, um, which I think is very important. I mean, we see it as labor versus the, versus the mines, and it's seen as something from which to extract wealth, as opposed to a mechanism to build wealth for the country. I mean, that is something that, that I think owes a lot to the history of gold mining in this country and exploitation that was part of it. I mean, do you ever see that changing, or is it just, is that, are we doomed to this forever? 
I'm worried that it's stuck in our DNA. I think the politicians and the populace have used that to advance their own causes th themselves. And, and it, it's, it's now, I got housewives of all colors calling me when I'm on the radio saying, yeah, why are you underpaying our miners? They have no clue what the people are making. And when you think someone can start with no education, no skills, no experience, nothing, what's he starting at, 8,000 a month now? And, and there's benefits with that? Jeez, how many, how many jobs, any kind of job can you start like that? No experience, no education in, in the training. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, we've destroyed a very good industry. You know, the, the, the lateral and horizontal advancement. But by the 80s, anybody on the mine could have any job he wanted. By 84... Are you saying irris irrespective of color? Irrespective of color, religion. By 1984... Anybody could have any job he wanted. Even the Scientologists, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe the Scientologists. So, but we've destroyed the institutions okay. that, that would have given us all that wealth, unfortunately. So, I mean, Bernard, just, just your view on this. Anglo Gold, two weeks ago, said they're selling their last South African mine. I mean, that's a, that's a fundamental, some, symbolic move, I suppose, in terms of this country. I mean, that is a country that stemmed from the Oppenheimer Empire. It basically started off in gold. I mean. How significant a move is that in terms of where we are globally and what that says about our country's gold industry? It is symbolic. Um, you know, if one of the other mining companies buy that mine, they, it's probably in better hands. And I would say so because I've probably bought about 10 or 12 mines of Anglo gold over the years mm. because, you know, in harmony, we would run them differently yeah. at a different cost structure. And we extended the life of those mines quite significantly. So... Yeah, I mean, that mine's not shutting down. That mine's uh, seeing a change of ownership. Um, I think the symbolism of Anglo gold leaving South Africa is not lost on anybody. This is this started in the 1990s, um, you know, and it's continued. Um, I think the, the value proposition that these mines will be worth a lot more or that Anglo gold will now be, uh, tra um, their shares would be worth a lot more simply because of them shedding a South African mine. That should worry us as South Africans. Why is the ownership of a South African mine perceived to be a negative? Um, those uh, jobs will continue. I mean, well, it goes to what Peter's saying. There's South African mining, in particular gold mining, has this terrible press. So it's got bad PR, clearly. I blame it on the journalists. I mean, Peter, your thoughts on that? It has bad press, but which of it is factual press and which is it? It's just fantasy press. Mm. It, it, try and be... Harry Potter press. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> let, let, let's try and be um, neutral here and just start with the facts. It's Sure, I call it a wonderful industry because it always gave me a job. And it did. The mines never had enough people. That's how capitalism works. You know, If you're making money, you want to hire more people. Look how Jeff Bezos grew Amazon. Look how Microsoft grew. Look how Apple grows. And that's how Anglos grew. It grew from one little gold mine way out, we're out at Niger or somewhere. It grew to, I think it had 300,000 gold employees alone. So, yeah, it was huge. And all those people were making money. All those people were learning skills and trades. And the spinoff is there was at least two real jobs supporting each mining job. So when you went to all these mining towns, you saw all these subsidiary industries, you know, engineering industries, agricultural industries, consultants. So the spinoffs are huge. And I think it's a good time to mention underground mining is a bit dangerous, but it's a lot more dangerous going to work 
for a gold mine than it is going underground. It's a lot more dangerous being a policeman than being an underground gold miner. And yet the gold mines, because they last 50, 60 years, you knew you had a job. You knew you had a pension. You knew you had medical coverage, food. You knew that was going to last for 60 years. All you have to do is be the average. You know, there's 200 countries in the world. You only have to be as competitive as half of them. And you knew you had a job forever. I mean, Bernard, I think you've been trying to maybe, I, I don't know, if, uh, address the bad PR that um, mines have. I, I guess it's one of the uh, one of the factors behind the junior in Darbo, which is now what you are, have, have backed and it's going to take place next week. I mean, is that, was that... Was that one of the reasons why you started the junior mining in Darbo? It goes back to, uh, you know, because we had like a, the world's best platinum ore body, the world's best gold ore body, why bother, you know, beyond that? Um, this country sees absolutely no money spent on exploration, and it hasn't for 30, 40, 50 years. This country actually thinks the world owes us, the, you know, to come and explore here. The rest of the world compete for investment dollars into exploration. So if you take a longer view and you say, will South Africa mine in 40 years from now? Well, we won't mine unless we start exploring, unless we start um, bringing transparency to our prospecting permit process, unless we start allowing people to come and discover. And if you discover something, allow them to own it so that they can build the mine. But this is a 30, 40 year long term sort of project, but it's clearly in national interest that we uh, continue to explore our natural endowment of resources. Mm. Um, I suppose, Peter, I was gonna ask, in terms of, so your view on the South African industry is, is quite negative. You, you think that it's destined to, to, to diminish, and then in the dissonance between the global industry, I mean, where do you see gold as a commodity versus South Africa? Look, I can't believe the price of gold. The demand seems to be so great to hold it up there at $1,300 an ounce, mm. which is much higher than it's, it's, say it's 100 year average or it's two or 300 year average. In real terms, it's probably about $600. Hmm. So today it's trading at double and it's been trading here for now 10 or 12 years. So the world does seem to have shifted. Maybe, it's, maybe the world is concerned there's too much paper money, too much debt. But the world is happy holding gold at $1,300 an ounce, which is economic for every deposit on this planet. But we've just altered our environment. If I get off track, you can stop me. But <laughs> I, I say an analogy is, let's get Lance Armstrong and take him to Uranus to set some records. And say, a lot of people watching him in case he spikes up. Yeah, and say, Lance, bring your drugs. They're legal on Uranus. Bring your, your mates, you know, even the ones that cheated. We're going to Uranus and the best bikes. And you, you fly there and you open the door and say, there it is, Lance, go for it. Let's set some records. He says, are you out of your mind? The environment's different. Where's the sun? That little red dot, there's no heat. It's minus 200 degrees. Air, there's no air here. There's methane, there's nitrous oxide. You know, I can't breathe. And hey, wind, geez, I'm used to 25K an hour wind. This is 250K an hour wind. And don't even mention gravity. We got nine times. So that's what's happened to mining here. Our environment has changed. The rest of the world's environment's pretty much the same as it's been. But our environment, every bit of our environment, above you, below you, behind you, inside and outside has changed. So the poor industry. So, so we're in Uranus. We're on Uranus. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and, and our poor industry, it's, it's running around in a spacesuit, but it's, it's got limited oxygen. You know, you have to eat, you have to go to the bathroom. And so the environment here has changed so much. I mean, I guess both of you must be really frustrated that 
that fact appears to have been lost completely on the Department of Mineral Resources. Well, I can only say that it must have been lost given its kind of intractability when it comes to dealing with uh, mining companies in South Africa, the way it constructs its legislation, the way it's gone about um, allowing for permits, uh, just just about every administrative act. Or am I being unfair? No, I think you're right, Julieta. It wouldn't be so devastating, but we were a mining country. It's not like we had Silicon Valley and world. Joburg is a city of gold. I mean, this is the icon. Yeah, image. this would be like if you wiped out finance and IT in California and New York. You know, we're here wiping out our um, our strongest industry. You know, our endowment. This one country has more minerals than Russian America put together. You know, and, and you'd think, gee, let's be careful. This this isn't all we've got, but it's the best we got. But to throw 450,000 gold miners out of work unnecessarily. Julieta, but we are still a mining country. I'm a gold miner, like Peter. My whole career was in gold mining. Gold mining has been good for me. But right now, we actually uh, produce iron ore in record quantities. We've got the world's best manganese ore bodies, and we are exporting as oh. much as as Transnet can handle. So there are uniquenesses to the South African gold mining industry. We've discussed some of them. But the same bad uh, regulatory environment applies to iron ore and manganese. So let's be a little bit careful. I think the okay. specific historic uh, um, context of gold mining, that was where exploitation of people took place at its worst. I, I mean, we read that a lot of the apartheid and other legislation was to keep black labor to to be cheap. So, so there's a context. Our mines, our gold mines are deep. They, you know, that contributes to a certain sort of thing. So I don't think this is the end of mining in South Africa. Is it the end of gold mining? It doesn't have to be. There are mines that can be reopened as Peter is busy with Blayford and others. There are all bodies that have got capital already spent and therefore it shouldn't be so expensive to reopen but there are two stories here. There's the story okay. of deep level mining and there's the story of the way the rest of the world mine. And some of our effort and innovation should go into staying relevant in the way that the world is mining today. Open cast mining, cheaper mining, safer mining. Yeah, but can I put my foot on that one? You know, for every plus in life, there's a negative. And yes, Kumba iron ore, our iron ore mines are now churning out a little more. Except in Google terms, apparently it's just plus. Okay. <laughs> our iron ore mines today are churning out a little more money or the same as our gold mines, say six, seven billion dollars each. There's a difference. Our gold mines employ 100,000 people. Yeah. The open pit mines employ maybe 5,000. So you're only generating the same amount of foreign income, but you're employing 10, 20 times more people in a gold mine. And you've got more of the subsidiary industry, industries on a gold mine. And they're learning more trades. And hey, we're not even talking environmental. Go on to Google and take a look at what this iron ore mine's doing. It is seven to one stripping ratio. Now, you're not going to rehabilitate that. Western Deep Levels has a few tailings dams. You can actually rehabilitate those, send all the tailings away. So there's a big price to be paid for these open pits. You're importing half that machinery, if not three quarters of it. You know, the gold mines used to brag when we were under siege, they were 97% local content. All that was built here. Mm. So open pits are not the answer. Mm. You know, I don't even know why governments allow them. I really don't. 
So in terms of, you know, say, as journalists, we look for quick answers, but kind of the three silver, three silver bullets. I mean, it's the three main reforms needed to make gold mining relevant again, yeah. besides exploration, which I, I think we've all accepted as a, as a necessary. Yeah, but very long-term uh, solution. But look, nationalization was definitely a death blow. When all the people who'd spent tens of billions of dollars here for a 50, 60-year-old mine woke up and read the paper, you don't own your mine anymore. That's scary. The mineral rights. But you do own your mine. You don't own the rights. I mean, why, that, that's not different to a lot of other countries in the world. It's, it's how you implement it. And most countries that did nationalization, they've clawed it back. It, are you going to put billions in the ground when somebody wakes up with a bad hair day and he says, I'm taking your license away? And, you know, mining, you can't pack up and move. It's down there forever. You sink a shaft. You can't move the shaft somewhere yeah. else. It's only good there. So that's scary. You're trying to entice investors into a difficult industry at the best of times. You have to offer them more enticement than say, come here, we got great weather, start an IT company. Mm -hmm. So you ask for my three silver bullets, they're probably wrong. But I would say nationalization is a blow. Nobody's going to sink billions of his money here when it can be taken away at any time. So you'd scrap the licensing regime. Private or change it. You know, there's some about private property. Once you did a deal with the owner, it was yours. You know, good or bad, it was yours. And hey, when you had private property gold mines here, you still had to pay taxes. You had to pay royalties. You had to adhere to safety standards. You had to adhere to rehabilitation standards. It's not like that goes out. Mm. And look, to say if nine out of 10 new businesses go bust, to force 30% of your company onto somebody and nine out of 10 times it's gonna go bust. You're gonna just piss those people off, huh? I don't know any miners, any part of the world, America, Canada, Australia, when they drill holes and blast, they wanna get paid for tons, they wanna to get paid. I remember the miners when I was young and naive and the silver boom happened in 73, 74. I go, hey, don't you guys want some shares? They go, son, you got a lot to learn. You know, <laughs> I, I want the money, you know? I'm saving up for my college education, for my kids. I want the money at the end of each week, miners get paid because they know those shares can go up and they can go down. You don't want to work hard for 20 years. You put all your bonus into shares and it's worth Zippo. Mm. So, you know, shares are risky. Julieta, I would uh, talk about the future. I mean, we've now sort of dwelled in the past, the sure. good old days. <laughs> I do think starting as we should tonight with the sort of next administration, I think if we do fix some of that sort of social compact issues, whoever our new minister of mines is, um, you know, can you imagine a Guerimantas, a uh, Joseph Matundra, and a Neil Frenemann, all three aligned, all creating value in the same way? Not, yeah, it's possible. Not Neil gets the bonuses <laughs> and Joseph plays the victim and, and Guerre <laughs> criticizes. But, I mean, that's what we need to do. We need to change the narrative that everybody gets a fair share. Now, Neil's share should be bigger than a rock roll operator, but should it be a thousand times bigger? So we need to address all of these sort of things. We need to speak as if we believe in our uh, industry. Um, and if we don't invest in our in own industry, every single South African mining company is looking to um, divert, to um, leave the country, to invest offshore. So our dollars speak so loud that nobody can hear our words. So we shoot ourselves in the feet as well. We still have great ore bodies. We still have uh, the ability to have a mining industry for another 100 years. But we can't repeat the last 20 years or the last 100 years for that matter. And we can't go back to those good old days. I personally don't think they were so great either. I mean, Bernard, but I feel like we've been saying this for the last 10 years at least. 
Oh no, thirty years. I uh, I've I've been in the industry for forty years. So I mean, we've been saying a lot of these things for the last forty years. Um, the old apartheid government, make no mistake, they were not particularly pro-mining. They had no choices. And thanks to apartheid, the money stayed in the country. Nobody could take any money anywhere. But the mining companies diversified into banks and other industries, not into more mines either. Since people had choices, we have not always given investors a decent return on, on the investments either. You know, So in the end, capital can go wherever the best returns are. The government should, now that it is on behalf of the of the people of the country, the owner of the mineral rights, the government should think, how do we make our mineral rights sexier than those in Canada? I don't think we are doing that. So that's criticism to the governor as the custodian of these mineral rights. But then as uh, miners have taken extremely short-term uh, views, how much money can we make for ourselves? And if there's a bit left for our shareholders, and uh, our employees have really been treating our mining companies like it's something that if you take, don't take it today, you know, you're not going to get it tomorrow. So, mm. I mean, let's face it. I think we all have been quite guilty of uh, of the destroying the industry. I think the most important thing of everything Bernard just said was we need a pact, Absolutely. a compact. You're right. We need labor, we need government, and we need industry to agree on a goal. And the goal is to create a mine, to bring in foreign investment. And if all three are staring at the same goal, then every action they do must take us a little closer to that goal. Yeah. yeah, there's just no alignment here. There's been no alignment here for decades. And that's why it's going in different directions. I mean, which is obviously what you're trying to change, right, within Darbus. Yeah, you know, I just uh, bring people together and put some of these uh, difficult issues on the table and try and get us to have frank and open conversations. And I do think, you know, I mean, the talk shop is a talk shop, but I do think we actually have, uh, we, we've been unable to talk to each other. Now, I mean, it, you could see from last year when Gwede Mantas became the minister, people talk differently to each other. Now, I'm not saying Mining Charter 3 is they such a great issue. They talked they must have been Zizwani. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything was an improvement, so it was easy. But no, so I mean, talking takes you so far, but we sure. need to find common ground, and the common ground is going to be in the future. We're not going to find common ground in the past. We've got a, a, a contested history. We can need I, to talk about a future where we can create wealth and jobs mm. for South Africans. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I just ask, though, I mean, are you almost not fighting a losing battle for the capital of the world when you could invest in Apple or Amazon? Uh, you know, why, why would you invest in a gold mine? Right. Why would you invest in the mining sector at all? Right now, we are fighting a losing battle. We're ignoring reality. And our excuse is, well, we're way at the tip of Africa. We're far from reality. But that's not a valid excuse. We have to get in planes, fly. We've got to mingle with the rest of the world. Everybody has to. The unions, industry, and government. We're all playing by the same rules on planet Earth. And we can't ignore reality. Right now, we are fighting a losing battle, thinking we're going to get foreign investment. I think we got to take, this is like Grand Prix racing. Do you see rearview mirrors on those Grand Prix cars? There aren't any. They're not looking at the past. They're only looking forward. Everybody's looking forward. We live. We don't in, want to become eighth and center here, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're living with rear view mirrors. We're always talking what's behind us. And yet we tell people we want to go forward. We got to get rid of all the rear view mirrors, say, we want to be back to number one. Like Bernard says, we want to be the first destination people think when they want to invest in mining. Mm. And we got to be 
so attractive and sexy in mining that people say, you know, IT is okay, but it's, it's bloody risky. You know, at least mining is a sure bet. You know, <laughs> at, least, at least mining, you know, the rocks in the ground, we can measure it. We got engineers and laborers that know how to take it out. And we can do that. If we all agree, we want to do that. But we can't have 2,000 more regulations, 3,000 policy changes say, we want to be the number one country, or, or we don't need Jeff Radabi saying, this is still a great investment. Show people how it's a great investment. And we must say, we are going to do whatever it takes to make this number one investment. And we need to accept that we are in competition with the whole world for capital. We it's, really are. We have to outcompete other mining destinations and Apple and all of these other options that people have got. That's not our attitude. We do, as South Africa, we've got an attitude of entitlement, an attitude of the world owes us, an attitude that, you know, People will come here because we are South Africa. And, and I think after 25 years, we can now see that it's not going to work like that. So we need to give investors a reason to come and put their money into our minds. Um, but I mean, in terms of productivity, I mean, that's one of the issues in which you compete with the global guys, right? Productivity of your minds is much better. But we have the biggest issue, I suppose, in our country, I think, is jobs. You know, to make the minds more competitive, we saw what happened to, to Anglo, was it Anglo Gold or Anglo Platts when they try to retrench a whole lot of workers, you need to retrench people in some situations to make mines more productive. But you have this you have this issue with um, government intervening and saying you can't do that because it's, it's creating a national crisis, which which we already have a national crisis in jobs. How do you how do you walk that fine line? Boy, it's easy. If you want to learn how to be productive <coughs> on the gold mines, you send a film crew in to live, sleep and eat with the Zamazamas for two weeks. Make a deal with them, you know, and watch how they, those guys are making 20,000 a month plus. And, but look how efficient they are. Nothing is wasted. And they're mining gold. We don't mine gold, we mine rock. We forgot how to mine gold. And I can give you examples in America with wheelbarrows and shovels. I can give you examples today. People I know in Australia, the same thing. They get a mining permit. They're out there. They're mining gold. And hey, I can pay a guy $200 a day if he's mining gold. And, and hey, I don't care if I run a shovel or a front end loader or a rocker shovel or a helicopter if I'm making 200 a day. So we've just lost it. We don't really know how to mine anymore. We just kind of keep doing the same thing over and over. And we keep giving double digit increases to the laborers. We keep double digit increases to the managers. We give double digit, triple inflation increases to the suppliers. And that example I used about China, that's why China's taking over the world of mining mm -hmm. equipment. They know how to make things cheap. The West has forgot how to make things cheap. They just add on their IP, they add on all their benefits. And, and boy, the Chinese, they just add on the cost to make that thing, and then they add on what they think is a reasonable profit so they can grow the business. So we should find a Zamazama organization and list it, and then we'll get <laughs> But one of the things we have, uh, I think, have changed the narrative in this country is about the role of uh, modernization. Because, you know, uh, we talk about productivity as if it's a negative and we quote thousands of people that will lose their jobs. Um, but I think a modern um, mining industry will be safer. A uh, modern mining industry will employ uh, slightly different people in some instances. Um, but I think the linkages back to the rest of our economy is something that I would have cared about if I was a minister of anything. I would say South Africa used to be an exporter of IP, mining IP, of technology, of equipment. And we have allowed that to uh, to die by the wayside. And I think, um, you know, we can talk about the fourth industrial revolution. We can talk about industrialization and reindustrialization. But around mining, we can really, really reestablish a, uh, 
supply to ourselves and then supply to the rest of the world. And none of that is the type of rocket science that we can't do. Uh, yeah. So I'm an optimist. Okay. I don't know who who the last comment belongs to, the optimist or the pessimist. <laughs> I, I got it. Okay, go. it's Peter. All right. No, go after me. You can cut and paste. <laughs> Productivity should be a fantastic world word for everybody. Unions, government, employees. Of course. Productivity. We grew our industry after the Boer War. You can say we had one man working on the gold mine. We grew it to a peak in 1987-88 of 550,000 men. Now, what happened in that 88 years? You had locals hauling big ore cars instead of cocoa pans, instead of wheelbarrows and buckets. You had rock drills, not just air drills, but improved air drills. You had jack legs, so you didn't need two men running a drill. One man could run it. Now you go to hydraulic drills. You go to conveyor belts. You go to scrapers instead of shovels. Those all increased our productivity. We increased our productivity for 88 years. Were we laying people off? No, we were hiring more people because they were making more money. We were opening more mines. So we've got to get this idea out of our head. Productivity brings about job creation. You don't lose jobs. Okay. So that actually is the view of the optimist, even though it came from the pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we leave it. Um, Peter Major, Bernard Swanepoel, thanks very much for joining us this afternoon.